Well, this week I wrestled with um, the subject of my preaching, vacillated between John 16 and also uh, a Mother's Day sermon. And I cannot neglect, you know, moms, right? I can't. I can't. I can do a lot of things in ministry, but I can't. I can't, I can't neglect uh, ministering to the moms of our church. And so earlier this week, I picked up several books. I Borrow from Serene's Library, women's books, and all your husbands out there, you know, if your wife doesn't have them, you know, buy for them. If they do, you should read it as well. I've learned so much about my wife uh, reading these books and uh, benefited from them tremendously. These three books, sort of many others, uh, are a very good biblical and helpful books. I recommend them to you. Nancy Lee DeMoss, she's the editor of this book, Biblical Women in the Home. Very good, very helpful. And she also wrote this book um, called Lies Women Believe. Excellent. She lists about 40 lies that women believe. And so very helpful. And Barbara Hughes, our Ken Hughes' wife, disciplines of a godly man. And I'll begin by saying that I give 100% credit uh, to the Holy Spirit and to these women for the sermon this morning. Uh, I borrowed from them tremendously. Because, you know, women still, my wife is still a mystery to me, let alone other women as well. So these women have been very helpful in explaining the heart of a woman. To start off, I'll tell everyone that our culture is riddled with deception. Our culture is permeated, it's just riddled with deception. And I learned this early on when I was uh, first grade. That was the end of innocence. You know, that's when I first discovered that I can't believe everyone or everything in this world. My dad took us to a toy store in downtown L.A. And I was watching on TV, Six Million Dollar Man. You guys are, some of you Bob remembers, and Jerry and Gary, you remember, right? Wherever Gary is, yeah, I remember. Six Million Dollar Man. This guy, uh, he had an accident, he had a bionic arm, bionic legs. And is it ear or eye? I think it's eye, right? You can see. And he was like Six Million Dollars to um, make him a bionic man. It would cost about $6 billion today, but back then, $6 million was a lot of money. And I remember watching this guy on TV and went to the toy store and there was a box with a, with a, space, uh, with a shuttle, like a capsule, with a picture of him laying down. So I was like, wow, I would love to have this doll, $6 million doll, and play with this capsule, his, his base. And, and I said, Dad, can I please have this? And he said, sure. So I bought this toy and I was so excited and dad wouldn't let me open it until we got home so I was holding it all the way home finally got home I opened this box and I, the, the capsule came on I opened it and it was empty right the picture had six million dollar man on the picture but you read the fine print and the dog you gotta buy it separately right and uh, I remember being very discouraged and very sad because what's good, uh, what's, what's the use of the capsule, the space without the figurine, right, with the six million dollar man, I remember crying and being very, very sad and my dad called the toy company, he was angry, like, what is this fraud going on, where is the doll, and they had to explain to him that he sold separately, so we got back in the car, we drove back to buy the figurine, so from that point on, I realized this world is full of deception. <laughs> I mean, it, it is everywhere. You read, uh, you see TV, show, TV uh, commercials. 
lose 30 pounds in 30 days without dieting and exercise. Right, some of you guys have bought that, right? You guys ordered that at home. Or uh, learn to play the piano instantly without practicing. Or look better and feel younger in just minutes a day. How about make a fortune uh, and fill in the blank just by coming to this seminar, right? You can make 5000 a week if you do this, right? Follow this program. What about those teenage years? Have clear skin in seven days. Right, come on. You bought those, you know, those materials on the web or on TV and put it on and most of it didn't work. Um, about, how about cleaning products? Right? Restores everything to new condition. Uh, cleans without effort. Cleans everything. You know, restores everything to original condition. Right? Uh, sometimes it's easy to see through such falsehood. But unfortunately, most deception is not quite as easy to detect um, because we want to believe sometimes in these false promises. We want to believe that we can just take this pill and without dieting, without any exercise, without discipline, effort and pain, we can lose weight. We want to believe. So these lies are powerful. Now we've got to ask, where did these lies originate from? Where did they come from? It comes from the man himself, Satan. John 8.44, Jesus said that he is a liar. He is the father of all lies. All lies originate from him, so much so that when he is lying, he is speaking his native tongue. That's the first language he learned. That's his native tongue, lies. And it goes all the way back to the first lie, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5. And our midweek flocks have been studying through Genesis, and all of you who are involved have studied this passage firsthand, and you saw how Satan, the serpent, deceived Eve with the first lie. He was crafty than any other beast of the field. And he subtly uh, attacks the veracity of God's word by saying, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, the woman responds, Yes, we may eat, except for the tree that is in the middle of the garden. We shall not eat it, nor touch it, lest you die. She adds that, uh, adds that phrase, not even touching it. Well, the serpent counters Eve with a lie, a flat-out contradiction with the Word of God. And he says, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he piles it on. He thinks he just, he just lies to Eve directly, and he offers to her this forbidden fruit, and he promises that if you eat of this fruit, you will gain knowledge. You will gain experience. He assured her that she would be equal to God and that so much so she would be a moral uh, arbiter of good and evil. She would know and discern between right and wrong and she can judge for herself. And Eve, the first mom, fell, to, fell for his lies and she ate the fruit and instead of the promised reward, she found herself with a mouth full of worms. 
she received shame, guilt, fear, and alienation. Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks said, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor, but pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. The servant lied to Eve, deceived her with his words, and so she sinned, and now sin has come into the world. And the serpent is still lying to women. It's lying to all mankind, but there is a sense that women are particularly vulnerable to lies. 2 Corinthians 11.3, 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul repeats twice how the woman was deceived by the serpent. Some theologians believe that there was something in the way that Eve was created that made her more vulnerable to deception, that she was inherently more temptable or more seductible. Maybe it has to do with her role in creation, that she was created to help. Therefore, she's more vulnerable because she's inclined towards people. She's in a way, women are more trusting, more nurturing. They desire to support Therefore, they're more vulnerable to lies. And we know this in a, in a, in a, in a maybe a practical way. A, a sister in church wanted to go buy a car, and I insisted that I go with her. And in fact, I took Sarin with me. I think Joe Pio, we went together. Because left to herself, the salesman would, you know, put her, you know, buy her, have her, like, buy the most expensive car with the highest interest rate. And so we made sure we went with her to protect her. I don't know how good we did, but we tried our best. And we heard other sisters uh, wanted to buy a car and called up a brother. Can you go with me? Because uh, to face the sales um, person by myself would be difficult. So we know this practically in a worldly level too. And theologically, biblically, it seems to be true that women are in some ways more vulnerable to lies. And that's the strategy of false teachers. Uh, false prophets and teachers know this, and so they warm their way into homes through women. Second Timothy 3, 6, and 7, talking about false teachers, Paul said that they creep into households and capture weak women who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So false teachers, knowing this, uh, employ this strategy in, um, in propagating their false teaching through weak world women. As I said in Nancy DeMoss' book, Lies Women Believe, she listed 40 plus lies that are common um, lies that women, that women hold to. Uh, I listed 22 of them, but for sake of time, I'll just highlight some lies that women believe. Uh, I need to learn to love myself. Um, I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings. I don't have the time to do everything I'm supposed to do. How about this one? I can make it without consistent time in word and prayer. I mean, men believe this too. It's not just common for women, but all, I think all of us 
at times believe in this lie, but it is a lie nonetheless that I can make it without consistent time and word and prayer. About this lie, I have to have a husband to be happy. I can't be happy as a single woman. Or, if I submit to my husband, I will be miserable. If my husband is passive, I must take over or nothing will get done. Sometimes divorce is a better option than staying in a bad marriage. Concerning parenting, children need to get exposed to the real world so that they can learn to function in it. Uh, Someone um, told us this lie, giving us advice about parenting actually, recently. About this one, all children will go through a rebellious stage. I am not responsible for how my children turn out. About this one, I can't control my emotions or I can't help how I respond when my hormones are out of whack. So this is a woman writing to women so she knows what lies women believe. If my circumstances were different, I will be different. My circumstances will never change. This will go on forever. Just two more. I just can't take it anymore. Finally, it's all about me. Right? Many lies um, that hold women captive and cause them to live sinfully, behave sinfully. Well, I don't have the time to go through all 40 plus lies. Um, I'll just confront top three. Top three lies that lead moms, wives, and single women astray. The the number one, the first lie is, and perhaps the greatest lie, uh, is that I exist for myself. I exist for myself. It's all about me. It is, in a way, the greatest lie because it goes against um, God's purpose in creating women. It goes against the very purpose of why God created Eve. It goes against Scripture and it goes against women's experience. So men, you guys have no idea about this, but women, if you're out there, you understand, not just Scripture, but it goes against your instinct, your desires. We know that um, God created Eve to be a helper. To be a helper. Genesis 2.18 here, from the very beginning, we find uh, the woman's purpose in the world. The Lord God said, as He saw Adam playing with the animals, you know, just hanging out in the Garden of Eden, and He said, it is not good. You know, everything I created is good, but this is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, some women are offended by the fact that women... Are, created, are, are labeled as helpers. But you know, I realized this week that women shouldn't be offended. Men should be offended. <laughs> that I should be offended. Right? I mean, guys, we're kind of slow on the uptake. Right? I, I mean, I've been reading the Bible for 15 years and I just realized that God is indirectly kind of offending me by saying that Holy Spirit is a helper and for men, Holy Spirit is not enough. We need an extra helper. Right? God has sent the paraclete to help men. 
But men, because we're so, you know, helpless, we're so, we're such a project that, you know, men need more help. So he created women to help us, right? So we have two helpers. I remember a young wife, you know, uh, we're asking her, how, how's it going? And she's like, man, it's tough being a wife. I need a wife, right? <laughs> I, I'm like helping him and serving him. Who's helping me? Who's serving me? So that just shows how weak men are. Right? Women don't need, they don't need a wife. They're okay by themselves. But man, we need to help her. That's why like when um, husband and wives after years together, um, the husband passed away. The, the wife passed, husband passed away, the wives, the widows are doing well. They live for like 10, 20, 30 years. You know, they get prettier, you know, they lose weight, their house is more orderly. They travel the world, they're intense in ministry, and you ask them, you want to get married again? They're like, they kind of laugh, like, oh, no, thank you, it's okay, I'll serve God as a widow. But if the wife passed away, men you know, generally speaking, die very, you know, much, much sooner. They can't handle it. They, their, their health breaks down. They're lonely. They can't function in life because their helper has passed. All right? Men need women, and that is why women were created, to be helpers. Douglas Wilson said this, the man needs the help, and the woman needs to help. Marriage was created by God to provide a companionship in the labor of dominion. The cultural mandate, the requirement to fill and subdue the earth is still in force and the husband cannot fulfill this portion by himself. He needs a companion suitable for him in the work to which God has called him. He is called to the work and he needs the help that only she can provide. She is called to the work through ministering to Him. He is oriented to the task and she is oriented to Him. End quote. So women, please, do not buy the lie of the world that you exist for yourself, that you are created for yourself, for your own fulfillment, for your own pleasure. The Bible is clear that the all-wise God, all-loving God, created you to be a helper we know this through Scripture, and we know this, women, you know this through, through an internal experience, internal desire, that you have this desire to help. You have this nurturing desire, helping desire to abound in good works, to help not only your husband, but to help your children, to help others, to help the poor, to help the orphans. Why? Because... God designed you for that reason, for that purpose. But before your children, before work, before even ministry, may I add, before even evangelism, your purpose is to, if you're married, is to help your husband, is to assist him. Barbara Hughes said this in her book, My Deepest Regrets Are the Times when I failed the Lord by not respecting and by not helping my husband. My greatest joys have been the direct result of living in accordance with God's plan for me as a woman. I'm his equal, but I'm different. And when I'm helping my husband, 
That's when I have experienced my highest joys. She continues, 25 years ago I asked myself, what is my goal as a wife? I, what I decided then remains the same today. And this is her goal. One day, I want to hear God say to my husband, quote, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. As Kent's helper in this life, those words will be my joy. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? What does she want? Barbara Hughes. She wants one thing at the end of her life. She wants to stand there and hear Jesus say to our Ken Hughes, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Her joy will be derived from hearing God praise her husband. Those words she said will be her joy. Why? Because that is her role. That is why she was created. Therefore, Carolyn Mahaney offers some questions wives should often ask themselves. Wives should ask yourself often, does this help my husband? And if it does, how does it help him? Do I care for my home in a way that helps my husband or serves him? Do I manage my time in a manner that assists my husband or serves my agenda? Does the way I serve others support my husband or promote myself? Do I ask for my husband's input before committing myself to a plan? Am I oriented towards him and to the work to which God has called him? Or am I oriented towards myself? Good questions for wives to ask. Carolyn Mahaney adds, Single women... You can also help as well. God created you to be a helper. She calls women to help other men, to abound in good deeds, to help, be a helper in the community, be a helper in the church, the family. She says, she said, quote, in all our relationships, we should make room for godly men to practice servant leadership. I would encourage single women to ask the Lord to give them creative ways to inspire other men to lead. Granted, this is not always easy. And I'm not promising you that all men will automatically lead. What matters is that you are cultivating the habit of making room for male leadership in your life. She's calling single men to respond to elders, to flock shepherds, to ministry leaders, to older men, men who are the same age, even younger men. Give them opportunities to lead and help them to be leaders. There are men in your life, she continues, that the Lord has provided for you and they need to know that you incline toward them instead of resisting them in a stiff-necked posture of the heart. Encourage their godly leadership by seeking their counsel, respect them, avoid sinful complaining, ask questions, ask their counsel, and defer to them. So first lie that the Bible confronts is that women are created for themselves. No, they are created for their husbands, and for men, for the church, for the community. 
to be helpers. A second lie, this lie is pervasive in many moms and future moms. It is a lie that a career outside the home is more valuable and fulfilling than being a wife and mother. A career outside the home is more valuable and fulfilling than being a wife and mother. And this is preached by... um, just uh, our culture, our society, the unimpeachable authorities of our colleges, universities, TV shows, you know, magazines, current textbooks, all advocate that women to be fulfilled, they'll find fulfillment in their careers, not in the home. The Bible goes against that. God is clear that God created women to be nurturers in the home. Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Proverbs 31, the woman, the wife who is beautiful in God's eye is one whose priority is in the home, who cares for her husband and her children and she finds her highest joys, her highest satisfaction and fulfillment at home. Titus 2, 3 and 4, Bible calls older women to be reverent in behavior, to be priest-like, and that they are to train the young women to love what? To love their husbands and to love their children. That is the command given to wives and that is the first and foremost ministry of older women calling on younger women not to give themselves for secular pursuits, not to give themselves for worldly endeavors, but older women are to be encouraging, teaching, modeling, priority of the home. And in the home, first love pours their husbands and then their children. I want you to consider this command of God. All women, all wives all future moms and all current moms, that God commands you to love your children. Never never does God command fathers to love their children. God commands no one else to love your children except you, moms. Why? Because no one can replace mom's love, mom's care, mom's affections towards their own child. It is irreplaceable. No one can be paid enough to do what moms do for free. Recently, because of Mother's Day, they put out a report on salary.com, calculated how much a a, a mother, you know, she she earns by caring for her child or children, and it was estimated at $140,000. And that's ridiculous. That's a secular perspective. Everything has to be, you know, uh, termed in a monetary way. I mean, what moms do at home is priceless. It can't be measured. Just her holding her child, hugging a child, nursing a crying child into the night, uh, teaching a child ABCs, and especially for a Christian mom, praying for her child, teaching her the Word of God, teaching the child the Word of God. Discipline a child when he or she strays from God's law. That can't be quantified in a dollar amount. It's priceless. And that is why God commands moms, that Psalm 127.3, that children are a gift from the Lord, that they are gifts given by God from His hands 
the mom's hands. Direct gift. It's a reward and therefore a direct responsibility of moms given to her and given to no one else. John MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur said, to neglect one's duty before God as a mom is to forfeit the blessing inherent in the task and those who do so take on a burden God never intended if you neglect this task. One sure way, he continues, to fill your life with misery is to abdicate the responsibility God has given to you as a mother and steward of your child He has graciously placed into your hands. Moms, you know this. You know this biblically and you know this experientially. The burden you have towards your children. And I'll confess on behalf of all the fathers, we don't, we don't feel that. We don't experience that burden. We don't sense this internal burden for our children. Like when they're crying in the middle of the night, we really don't hear them. We really don't. Right? When, they're, when we feel their diapers and it's heavy... We just think, ah, a few more hours can't hurt. Right? If they're hungry, it's alright. I go you know, without food sometimes. You know, we're not, we don't feel this internal burden to teach them the Word of God. We, we don't. To pray for them. To raise them in the fear and admiration of the Lord. That's why we have to be commanded these things. But not only are you commanded, but you experience that internally. It's a burden for you. Lynn Kane in her book, What Did I Do Wrong? said, Fathers seem not to share either the guilt or the blame. They did not feel inadequate or responsible for them. That was for women to feel. I have seldom met a guilty father, end quote. That's true. Well, you know, husbands, our identity is wrapped in our vocation, in our ministry, in our jobs. So when we, why, when we get fired, then our worlds fall apart. When we don't have a job, our self-respect, our dignity, our honor, we feel like the size of a chicken nugget, right? If we don't have work to do, if we don't have work, if we're not bringing home Right to, to provide for our family, to protect them, to care for them. Right? We feel not as a man. But towards our children, we don't feel that way. But moms do, because God created women to be nurturers. Moms, I want you to consider that this command given to you to love your children is a permanent responsibility. That your love... For your children never ends. You are irreplaceable. Your role is unique. Your responsibility is permanent throughout your whole life. That is God's will for you to prioritize the home. Paul continues that women, wives are to be self-controlled, pure, diligent at home, workers at home. That the sphere of a responsibility... In God's perspective, a wife's role is at home. If a mom gets a job outside the home and sends a child to daycare or to have grandparents raise the child, is to shirk, neglect, ignore her God-given responsibility. It produces a lazy husband. It does. It produces a mom who is overworked 
who is overburdened and is stretched on all sides, who is just having a difficult time fulfilling her role given by God, and it produces children who are influenced in a great measure by ungodly people. Pastor MacArthur again said, before the throne of God, we will be held accountable if we have turned our children over to other influences that shape their character in ungodly ways. God has placed in our hands the responsibility of bringing our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and we will give account to God for our stewardship of this great gift. If others have more influence on our children than we, we are culpable, not excusable on those grounds. End quote. The idea that career and work is more valuable, career or work, more fulfilling, more satisfying, more important, is a lie. It's an utter lie. Do not give in to this deception. For the single women here, it does not exclude you. It does not exclude you. God has given you to be nurturers as well. To fulfill that role, do this first. Be a lover of your own home. If you're a single woman and you live with your parents or you live alone, you have a home, you have an apartment by yourself, nurture this Foster this mindset by being a lover of the home. Again, Proverbs 31, Titus 2, make it clear that the man's responsibility is to go outside the home and make a living and provide for his, himself and his family. A woman's role is in the home. So if you're a single woman, begin today. Don't wait to, to, until you start dating. Don't wait till you're engaged. Don't wait till that rings on your finger. Begin today and foster a heart to love your home. Be devoted to the quality of your home life. Because the heart for the home does not happen automatically. It must be fostered and developed. You ignore this to your own peril. Again, Mahaney, she said this, that she, she's, at, she's talked to many married women who admitted that they didn't value domesticity when they got married. That they didn't like being at home. They didn't like caring for the home. As single women, they were so used to being outside the home, living carefree existence, really putting down, repressing this nurturing uh, heart that after they got married, that was the same. They wanted to be outside the home. They didn't want to be at home. They didn't want to help the husband. They didn't want to care for kids. They filled their single years with every possible pursuit but a devotion to the home. Therefore, not only were their hearts not inclined towards the home, they didn't know how to cook. They didn't know how to care for clothing. They didn't know how to beautify a home. And it was almost too late. If you're a single woman, start today. Learn now how to manage your home. Learn now to keep your room in order, to keep your room clean, to keep your house clean, to cook meals, to be hospitable, to invite people into your home, into a a beautiful, uh, uh, protective environment, and to minister through your home. Marital status has nothing to do with being feminine, creating a warm and inviting home. 
Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, single or married. A wise woman builds her home, cares for her home, cares for her room, cares for her car, cares for her belongings. But a foolish woman, foolish wife, tears it down, destroys it. Another way single women can fulfill this role of being a nurturer is by nurturing other people's children. I'm not sure if Dimas said this or Mahaney, but someone said, when you babysit, you are giving full expression of your femininity. When you take an interest and reach out to other people's children, you are displaying your God-given femininity. When you tutor children, sponsor a needy child internationally, or you volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center, or you build relationships with your nieces or nephews, you are bearing fruit in this area. That's my personal opinion. If a guy is not into kids, into children, it's okay. For me, it's really okay. Because, you know, and if a guy is too into kids, that's my opinion, you know. Like edit this out later, but if guys too into kids, you know, I don't know if that's really good, right? Because men, we're we're warriors, we're fighters, we're protectors, right? We shouldn't be like, I want to stay back and you know, take change diapers. No, we should be out there in the front line, ministering, proclaiming the gospel, bringing home, you know, uh, um, money to to provide for our family. Our job, our role, isn't to be at home caring for kids. But if a woman doesn't like kids, if you're a single woman and you don't like children, right? You don't, you want to avoid kids. You don't have a heart for them. You need to, you know, repent. You need to change your mind, change your heart, because God created you to be a nurturer. And you might say, oh, I might, I don't, I don't want to get married. The gift of celibacy. I'll be single. Regardless, your role is still to be a nurturer, to nurture other children, to help other children, raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, first lie is that I exist for myself. It's all about me. Second lie is greater fulfillment outside the home. Third lie, and the final lie is this. Physical beauty matters more than inner beauty. Physical beauty is more important than inner beauty. This message is one our culture preaches to girls and women beginning in earliest childhood. That is why we don't want to have any Barbie dolls at our home. We don't want to give our daughters a beauty ethic. The external beauty is important. Uh, and you go to Disneyland and all the princes, right, princesses, right? Princes too. They have makeup on. You know, their hair is all like, you know, long, you know. And they're all fair. And all the witches are what? They're ugly. They have warts. They have wrinkles. So if you're beautiful, you're good. If you have wrinkles then you're evil, right? <laughs> it, it comes to us from virtually every angle. TV, movies, magazines, books, advertisement. And somehow, they, in a unified, coordinated effort, they tell us that what's most important for women is beauty, external beauty. And really, that's all that matters. Right? Your weight, your figure, right? your hair. These are what's, things that are true, truly important. And so in one of the books, women were confessing about the pressures of this beauty ethic. One woman confessed, by believing that beauty is external and physical, I have never felt that I was beautiful. 
And because of this, I've always been shy. Another woman confessed, I believed that outward beauty was all that was valuable about me to anyone, especially to men. Therefore, I chose to take advantage of that to get the attention that I so desperately craved. Another confessed, all my life I have believed that my self-worth was based on my appearance and I, be- and I developed eating disorders. I am a food addict and I struggle in my marriage with the perception that I am not attractive. And this is not just struggles for young women, you know, girls, teenage years or 20s or 30s. It's really, the pressure is so intense, it's a lifelong pressure on women. Uh, Lancy DeMoss said, No sooner had I turned 40 that I started receiving catalogs promoting products guaranteed to combat the effects of aging. They promised me younger, clearer skin, fewer wrinkles, no more dark shadows, prettier nails and hair. Today's women uh, face intense pressure to be externally beautiful and the culture's definition. And this is not a new trend. Author Robin Hennig provided this historical overview of the price of external beauty. Over the centuries, she said, women have mauled and manipulated just about every body part. Lips, eyes, ears, waist, skulls, foreheads, and feet. In China, almost up until World War II, upper class girls had their feet bound, crippling them for life but ensuring that their three to four inch long feet were prized as exquisitely feminine. In Central Africa, uh, some women wrapped the heads of female infants in pieces of giraffe hide to attain this elongated cone-shaped heads that were taken to be signs of beauty and intelligence. During the Renaissance, well-born European women plucked out hairs one by one from their natural hairlines all the way to the crown of their heads. Why? Because at that time, rounded foreheads were considered, was considered beautiful. All this might sound quite primitive until you consider the current frenzy for cosmetic surgery, so much so that it's a primetime TV show. Right? Extreme makeovers. Right? Before and after, after shots. Over the last eight years, cosmetic surgery has increased by dramatic 165% as a multi-billion dollar industry. Top five surgeries are liposuction, breast augmentation, eyelid surgery, facelift, and tummy tuck. And this begs the question, why? Why are women so obsessed with physical beauty? Why are women so given to this deception, this lie of external beauty as defined by our culture? The answer is simple and the answer hurts. Um, It's because our hearts are full of evil desires and sinful lusts. Because women's hearts are full of evil lusts selfishness and sin and for men we're sinful as well we don't esteem what the Bible calls us to esteem we don't praise and honor what, the God, what God calls us to honor and praise we have become worldly in our understanding of beauty instead of God's definition of beauty a woman who fears the Lord 
because men have given to this, to this sinful lust, that we impose this in the church as well. And so, because of our sinful hearts, to different degrees, women have bought into the lie that physical beauty is important, that they, this will bring them satisfaction and recognition. They believe this lie because they think that if they're beautiful, they will be happy and successful. That if you are beautiful, you'll be popular among women. If you're beautiful and if you're thin, you have a good figure, you'll be desirable to men. That you won't be hurt, rejected and alone if you are externally beautiful. You think that you will know lasting intimacy, you will know true love, that you will be important and secure if only if you are beautiful in the sight of others. These are all things that a sinful heart craves. Lusting for success, recognition, significance, importance and approval. We become obsessed. And women take great great pains to, to work on their external appearances. All in an attempt to satisfy these sinful cravings. But the message is a lie. Women... The world has lied to you and God is telling you the truth. Physical beauty doesn't ensure happiness, fulfillment or success. And look at the, our modern day princess, our princess Diana. I, don't know if, I remember when she got married. It was a media event. Every channel was uh, covering her marriage. The prince and the princess. It was you know, Snow White coming, coming true in the real world. And we know subsequently that she was anything but happy, anything but satisfied, and anything but fulfilled. Scripture reveals the falsehood and the futility of the quest for physical beauty. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, it's in vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. We see that picture drawn, do we not? In 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, Peter tells women, Do not let your adornment be external, braiding of hair, wearing of gold, putting on of clothing. Godly women should not depend on external adornment for beauty, but upon their spiritual character. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 4, Let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. The hidden person of the heart. It's unfading beauty. External beauty is, beauty is fading. It breaks down. right? Because of the decay of the world, it breaks down, but not inner beauty. And he describes it as a gentle spirit, a meek spirit, a quiet spirit. Quiet trust in the Lord. And Peter says, this is precious. This is beautiful in the sight of God. And this is beautiful to all godly men. If you want to attract, attract ungodly men, then focus on your external beauty. But if, you're, if you don't have godly character, it's like uh, a gold ring and a pig's snout. Right? Proverbs 11.12 The waste. Right? If you have a gold ring on a pig's snout, you would say, what a waste, this precious jewel wasted on this animal, this dirty animal, right? 
So if you're externally beautiful, but you have ungodly character, if you have no discretion, you have no propriety, that external beauty is just a, it's a waste to be thrown away. Right? Peter says, no, if you have um, true beauty, inner beauty, then you are precious inside of God, and you will attract godly men. Right? As single women, you attract godly men. Because godly men, this is what we desire, this is what we look for, this is what draws us to, to them. And we know that this will never change. It's unfading, it's eternal. Right? No matter what the world might say, she is beautiful in the sight of God. Do you see the contrast here? God's definition of beauty stands in stark contrast to the way our culture defines beauty. Our culture defines beauty by how we look on the outside. God defines beauty on how she looks on the inside. Our culture puts forth a standard of beauty that is unattainable, unattainable for everyone. For everyone. No one can attain this standard of beauty portrayed by the world. Even the models themselves, the fashion industry will tell you that you see a model on a picture, that's after hours of makeup. That's hours of styling her hair. That's when like dozens of people, right, making her up for several hours. There's perfect lighting, perfect shadows, perfect angles to show her a good side. And then after the final product, it's not good enough. Almost every picture, if not every picture, is digitally enhanced, touched up to take away all the blemishes, all the wrinkles, all the imperfections. So the model looks at the picture and she's not looking at herself. She's looking at an improved version of herself. I heard there's a website called Celebrities Without Makeup, right? And they have these you know, models and women in pictures and they catch them you know, when they're going to Starbucks in the morning or shopping at, you know, Vons, and they, these digital cameras, they picture these women without makeup, and it's like, you can't recognize them. Because that's the reality, compared to this unattainable picture presented in, in, in movies and TV and magazines. It's unattainable, but God puts forth the picture of beauty that's attainable for every single woman. Every woman here can be beautiful. The sight of God, and the sight of godly men. Our culture encourages women to cultivate a beauty that is skin deep. God tells women to pursue an inner beauty that is of great worth. Our culture encourages women to cultivate a beauty that will last only for a short time. few years max. Maybe five years max. So you guys, you know, what you're attracted to externally, you're a fool. You're marrying a nose. You, know, you understand that? You know, you're, you're marrying a hairstyle. You're, you're committing to a lifelong relationship with their, their, their cheeks, right? Or their shoulder blades. And, it, and after you, it's gone. Right? You should be attracted to godly character, which is forever. You should be attracted to someone who loves the Lord, who is your friend, who helps you, who you have a relationship with, have a friendship with, a commonality with, because that is eternal. Right? Our culture... Culture calls women to cultivate a beauty that impresses others. God summons women to cultivate a beauty that is first and foremost for His eyes. Do you see the difference? The beauty of our culture esteems what is temporal and fleeting, what is empty. Beauty God calls you to have will make a lasting impact. 
Let me give you nine questions that one of these authors proposed. Consider it a heart check, real probing. I could not have come up with these questions by myself. You know, myself. As, as these women know the heart of women, and so they good questions for you to ask often. First of all, do I spend more time daily caring for my personal appearance than I do in Bible study, prayer, and worship? Do I spend more time caring for my external appearance daily than Bible study, prayer, and worship? Second question, do I spend excessive money on clothes, hair, makeup, or is it an amount that is not honoring to God? And how much do you spend on your clothes? How many outfits do you have? How many shoes do you have? How much do you spend for your haircut or your perm? Right? Lighting of your hair and coloring your hair. Right? Is it honoring to the Lord how much you spend on makeup? Third question. Do I want to lose weight to feel better about myself? Or do I desire to be disciplined for the glory of God? What is the motivation of wanting to be thin? Fourthly, am I on a quest for thinness to impress others, to gain recognition, to get attention? Or do I seek to cultivate eating habits that honor God? Fifth question, do I exercise to create or maintain a good figure? Or do I exercise to strengthen my body for God's service? exercise to create or maintain a good figure or for God's service. Six, am I jealous of the appearance of others? Right. Am I jealous of a woman's hair, her figure, her nose? Right. Or am I happy, am I glad when other women are more physically attractive than I? Seventh question, do I covet the wardrobe of others? Or do I genuinely rejoice when other women are able to afford and purchase new clothing? Question 8. When I attend an event or activity, do I sinfully compare myself with others? Or do I go asking God to show me whom to love and how to love? Final question. Do I dress immodestly with the intent of drawing attention to myself? Or do I always dress in a manner that pleases God? Single women, 1 Corinthians 7.34 is clear. You have only one person to please. You don't live to please men. You don't live to please other women. You don't dress for them. You don't work on your external appearance for others. Single women, you have only one person to please, and that is the Lord. Married women, you have two to please, God and your husbands. Let us uh, be good Protestants at Cornerstone Bible Church. Let's protest. And may the women of our church protest against these lies of the world being fed to us, force-fed to us, and say, no, we are not created for ourselves. No, our word is not found outside the home, outside of my family. It's found within the family. And may the women of Cornerstone protest and have a counter-revolution against this beauty ethic and live out the truth 
that it is far more important to be beautiful in God's eyes than the eyes of this world. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Father, great and awesome God, Lord, help us with the Holy Spirit to be reminded and to realize your imminent presence, that you are here with us. God, that you are the heart searcher and you know all things, and that we present ourselves before you, before your omniscience. And God, we pray for our church that we would not, even men and women, even men as well, that we would not buy into these lies and either directly or indirectly aid the efforts of our enemy. Oh God, that we will be a pure church by upholding what you value in the women of our church, the single women, the wives, and the moms of our church. Oh God, we desire that they will be beautiful in your sight and they will live lives pleasing to you. Oh Lord God, be merciful to us. Oh Lord, would you help us. Help us to see the beauty of Christ and cherish you in all ways by esteeming what the Bible esteems in women, wives, and moms. Lord, help us to fight these lies and live according to the truth and to teach the truth by our conduct. We, we thank you for our moms. We ask that you would bless them this day. Help us to honor them, praise them, lift them on high, Lord, and to thank them for their care and tireless service to all of us. And may you grant them, Lord, um, intimacy with you as they obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.